With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 377 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, the next episode of the True Crime Podcasters Roundtable discussion takes place on Sunday at 7.30pm UK time. So please join me, Mike and Paul as we are joined by Bethan from Seeing Red and Stuart from British Murders. Just search UK True Crime on Crowdcast or look at any of our social channels to join us. The story today is a frightening one for the northeast of England, not only for the disturbing details, which will be touched upon later, but for the sheer normality that seemed to be being played out in a young couple's life as they embarked upon a relationship together then the way in which the comfortable normality suddenly became something very different is something we've spoken about many times before on this podcast. Unfortunately, once again, I must warn you that we will be covering distressing domestic abuse. Before we start, let's quickly set some context for today's story with our never-copied guest of the month in the year game. Top of the UK charts was Dizzy Rascal, no, the other less cute one, with Dance With Me. In the US, Katy Perry was kissing a girl at the summit of the charts, and in Australia, the top album was Coldplay with Viva La Vida. In the news this month, The Dark Knight starring Christian Bale and Heath Ledger premiered. Western supermare Graham Pier burned down for a second time in 80 years. The London Motor Show, sure you're a regular like me, it was held, with a highlight being Vauxhall's launch of its new insignia, that would replace the Vectra. And in UK True Crime News, Barry George was facing trial for the murder of Jill Dando. So did you get the month and year? It was July 2008. So close. Again. Today's case takes us to the northeast of England and the popular suburb of Gosforth in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. The suburb is seen as an affluent one. It's littered with listed buildings, and attractive residential areas. It lays claim to its fair share of famous sporting people, boasting the likes of former footballer Alan Shearer and Olympic gold medalist Jonathan Edwards among its ranks. But it isn't just in sporting terms that Gosforth has an illustrious history. Oh no. Britain's largest retail bakery, Greg's, originally began as a single shop here on Gosforth High Street back in 1951 and was initially known as Greg's of Gosforth. Now, who doesn't love a Greg sausage roll? Should we just leave that hanging? When we pick up the story, Nicola Morin was 26 years old and lived alone in a second-floor flat in Bramwell Court in Gosforth. Since 2000, Nicola had been in a relationship with 38-year-old Stephen Newton, the sales rep, and he was a man that physically cut a very different figure the very petite Nicola. Newton was a big unit, standing at six foot four and weighing a rather burly 17 stone. This new man in Nicola's life was initially regarded by Nicola's 
friends and family as a polite, a nice guy. And to all intents and purposes, it seemed as though she'd found a decent man. As the relationship progressed, though, it became worryingly clear to Nicola's family that Stephen Newton was not the man he'd first appeared to be. Nicola's mum, Jeanette, began to see marks and bruises on her daughter, and despite him always making a point of telling Jeanette how well he would look after her daughter, as time went on, she had more and more reasons to doubt this. And it wasn't just Nicola's mum who witnessed the results of Newton's apparent change in character. In 2003, Nicola's brother David saw his sister soon after she'd been attacked by her partner. Upon seeing the extent of her injuries, he was physically sick, violently sick, which perhaps helps portray just how horrific the assault was and the state that he left Nicola in. And it's not just the physical attacks, the psychological distress that he'd also subject Nicola to. A significant result of this was Nicola feeling isolated and unloved and not good enough. Her family were a close one, but at the time to her mind it seemed that this was unravelling to the point where in the middle of the night she would call her brother and ask, Do you love me? What a heartbreaking image this is. Despite this bullying and abusive behaviour from Newton now being on full display, there was no pretense, Nicola remained with him and in 2005 the pair holidayed in Corfu. Many couples, of course, book holidays in a hope that the more relaxed environment and the break from the difficulty of real life can give their relationship a renewed impetus. For Nicola, though, instead of sun-soaked relaxation and fun, her memories of this particular holiday were wholly more unpleasant and violent. When away Newton had pushed her from a ledge, causing her substantial injuries and really leaving her fortunate to even return home to the UK with her life. The authorities became involved and Newton was later convicted in his absence of attempted murder by a Greek court. But the relationship still continued. Physical injuries by now were commonplace, usually inflicted by Newton when he was drunk. On one distressing occasion, Nicola's mum found her at home tied up in her bedroom with a sock stuffed into her mouth. Through sobs of despair, she told her mum it was her boyfriend who had degraded her in this fashion. As she physically shook and trembled in fear, the pair simply cuddled until Nicola was able to gain back some sort of peace of mind. Even at this point, the relationship persisted, as Nicola was terrified about what might happen should she try to end it. The turbulence that defined the relationship did not ease, and eventually, displaying incredible bravery in the face of her fears, Nicola did indeed decide to end things with Stephen Newton. Following the breakup and as time moved on, Newton slowly faded from the picture, and Nicola began to see another man. She became pregnant, and it seemed as though her life had taken a happier and more contented direction. But sadly, this newfound joy wasn't to last, and following the birth of her baby girl, Lily, the relationship foundered and came to an end. As can often be the case with coercive and controlling partners, Stephen Newton wasted no time in trying to win Nicola back once again. In time, he managed to persuade her to give him another chance, to which she agreed, meaning that their relationship resumed once more. But if Nicola had hopes that the man had changed and things might be different this time around, 
she was horribly, horribly mistaken. In June 2008, Stephen Newton was arrested following yet another attack on the young mum. Nicola was by now terrified of her partner and she hoped with this latest assault he would be remanded in custody. But this was not to be the case as Newton was bailed by Newcastle magistrates but with a condition attached that he should not visit her flat in any circumstances. When police called Nicola to inform her of his bailing, she was utterly devastated. In floods of tears and shaking in terror, Nicola's mum Jeanette was able to see firsthand just how real her daughter's fears now were. We were so shocked at this result, she said. We thought he'd been remanded in custody. This time, I really felt she was scared of Stephen. The bail condition, after all, well, it was all well and good, I suppose, but there was no real way of enforcing it, and Nicola remained living in fear 24-7 that he may appear at her flat at any time, every noise in the middle of the night. She thought it was him, and she knew better than anybody just how violent he could be. And now with a young baby in her flat too, the anxiety level was ramped up further still. At this stage, Newton had been uncertain of the paternity of Nicola's baby, but following this latest assault, he'd be left under no illusions that Lily was not his, the truth being bluntly told to him several times by members of Nicola's family. On the 18th of June 2008, Nicola's statement to police included the following, I feel terrified of Stephen, and I genuinely think he would kill me if he's not stopped. I will move away if necessary now I've got a baby and I would like to get help from the council to get rehoused because Stephen will not stop if he knows where I live. The relationship with him was volatile and violent. He is a possessive and jealous personality. It was all uneasily quiet until the evening of the 1st of July 2008 when Stephen Newton broke the conditions of his bail and appeared at Nicholas flat. It's unclear exactly what happened next, but what is known is that while one-year-old Lily slept quietly in her bedroom, Stephen Newton set out to kill Nicola. With a pair of baby's tights, Newton strangled Nicola before inflicting an eight-inch wound to the full width of her throat, which was more than two inches wide in places and had been inflicted with six or seven separate strikes. As Nicola lay bleeding to death on the living room floor, her attacker made contact with her sister Kerry. It was just after midnight when he sent her a text message saying, I soz Kez, but couldn't let her get away with hurting news, okay? Two further but unsent messages he also prepared for Kerry and his other sister Tracy, which said, Told you she was not walking away this time. He then phoned Tracy at 12.40am telling her she needed to come to the flat before hanging up the phone. When she called him back, he blurted out the horrible truth of what he had done and also went on to tell her, I'm trying to kill myself, but I can't die. So just after 1am on Wednesday the 2nd of July, Tracy made a 9-9 call to the emergency services and relayed the information she had so shockingly received from her brother. A heavy presence of 10 police cars were dispatched to the flat. On entering, they were met by the sight of Stephen Newton sat on the sofa watching TV, just feet away from his victim's blood-soaked body. 
Nicola's baby girl, Lily, thankfully remained asleep in her bedroom, oblivious to what had been unfolding just yards away from her. With police discovering Nicola's body and Stephen Newton in the same flat, this wasn't the sort of case that required exhaustive attempts to discover who and where the murderer was. He had sat there quite brazenly watching TV as Nicola lay dead on the floor beside him. He was charged with Nicola's murder and appeared before Newcastle magistrates where he accepted he had killed Nicola, but he denied murder on the grounds of provocation. The provocation according to him being that Nicola had in some way goaded him about not being the father to her child. The trial was set for Newcastle Crown Court in September 2009, a little over a year after the murder. Whilst Newton was this time remanded in custody until the time of the trial, Nicola's family had to somehow try and come to terms with what had happened. It wasn't just losing a daughter in these most appalling of circumstances, but it must have been even harder by the fact that this man had very recently been instructed by the court not to visit Nicola's address, yet they must have known the futility of such an arrangement and how unlikely it would be that he would adhere to such a condition. It's not for me to rant and rave about why he wasn't kept in custody. I know it's not easy, but the family, they, you just can't imagine how they must have felt, can you? And their confidence in the judicial system couldn't have been great ahead of the trial. The jury were faced with some horrendous details of the attack. Prosecutor Toby Headworth QC did not shirk this, announcing that Nicola had bled to death after Newton had hacked into her neck multiple times. He said the following, None of the major blood vessels were touched, so the fatal bleeding took several minutes to accumulate. Her own daughter's tights had been wrapped around the neck as part of the attack. She'd been strangled with those. Blood on the tights suggests they were round her neck when she was cut. Bruising to her face and head showed likely blunt force impact injuries from punches, kicks or stamps. Following the attack, asserted the barrister, Newton made some half-hearted attempts to kill himself with a knife and he got in a bath full of water covered in his own and Nicola's blood. Back in the dock listening to this, Newton sat impassively. Another key element to the trial was, of course, the extent and duration of the abuse Nicola had suffered at his hands. The Crown said the relationship was punctuated by years of escalating violence and abuse during a particularly stormy relationship. But it was the evidence of one of Stephen Newton's former partners that confirmed that it had not just been Nicola who had suffered at his bullying hands. Claire Karim, who had the misfortune of experiencing Newton as her first proper boyfriend told the court he was a raving nutter I was scared stiff of him he used to make me feel like I was nothing there were telltale signs if he was going to be violent it would be in his eyes and he would crack his fingers and put his tongue between his teeth I always knew when it was coming I used to try and juggle him like a piece of hot coal until he calmed down A few months after they began going out together, she had been returning home one day, having been out of the house for a few hours. Once home, she found Newton foaming at the mouth almost and demanding to know where she'd been. In a fit of rage, he then headbutted her, knocking her unconscious to the ground. 
On another occasion, a couple of years into the relationship, Claire told the court he'd stabbed her in the thigh of a screwdriver because she'd accidentally disturbed his wetting slips. When he hit me, she said, it was as if he was hitting a man. He caused me black eyes, bruises, pop noses, pop lips and lumps and bumps. The violent incidents have stuck in my mind no matter how hard I try to bury them. This first-hand betrayal of the accused from a former partner was not only tremendously brave from Claire, but moreover it helped create an image to the court of the true character of Stephen Newton. It also helped to dispel Newton's own fanciful perception that his actions toward Nicola that night had come from a one-off explosion of anger, rather than the reality which is a concerted campaign of bullying, terror and violence. He claimed in his own evidence he'd snapped on the night of the murder after discovering that he wasn't the father of Nicola's child. He said, Nicola turned round and said, she's not yours. It's not my fault. It's your fault, as you are not able to make kids, you big mug. That was the first time I'd heard that from Nicola's mouth. I just exploded. I grabbed hold of her arms and put her on the floor. He then claimed Nicola had reached for a Stanley knife and tried to attack him with it. Newton said he managed to overpower her, and then the next thing he remembered was Nicola lying on the living room, dead. Then he told the court he cut his wrists and throat and lay in a bath of hot water in an attempt to kill himself. Nicola's family and friends sat through all this evidence in the public gallery. At the conclusion of a three-week trial in October 2009, Stephen Newton learned his fate and whether or not the jury had believed him. The members of the jury announced after five hours of deliberation, they found him guilty of the murder of Nicola Morin. The verdict drew gasps from a packed public gallery, and members of Nicola's family ran out of the courtroom to break the news to waiting friends and family outside. In passing a life sentence with a minimum term of 15 years, only 15 years? Sounds pretty lenient to me, I don't know what you think. The judge spoke directly to Newton. You attacked her, you struck her about the head repeatedly, you strangled her with her child's tights, and while she was unconscious, you repeatedly cut her throat. She was ten years younger than you, and she was physically no match for you. Her daughter slept nearby. It was a troubled relationship, punctuated with violence. It was obvious to all around the relationship was doomed. You couldn't live happily together, but you couldn't live apart. I've read a note from you today in which you expressed remorse. I saw nothing of that in the days you spent in the witness box during your trial. The judge said he simply couldn't accept Newton's version of events that he snapped after Nicola blurted out that he was not the father of her daughter, saying this was something he already knew. And earlier in the sentencing, the judge touched upon one of the most heartbreaking elements of the case. Nicola's daughter, Lily, would one day have to find the means to try and come to terms with her mum's violent death in the knowledge that she was killed just yards from her. Immediately after the sentencing, Lily's grieving grandparents shared just how the two-year-old had helped the family in their efforts to find some sort of peace following Nicola's death. Jeanette and Bobby, Nicola's parents, opened their hearts to say how Lily had been the tower's strength to keep them going. The grandparents were granted custody of Lily and they spoke of the dread they felt when the day did come when they'd have to tell her what had happened to her mum. 
Lily is the only thing that kept us going. She got us through this, said Jeanette. But what right did he have to take her away from her mother? And how do you explain to a young child what happened? He's robbed Lily of her mum, and the way he took Nicola that night was horrific. It is these types of ongoing dilemmas which, of course, confront a grieving family in situations like this. It's also easy for the public to simply move on once a murder trial is concluded. But for the family left behind, they must navigate their way through unknown and such difficult periods of their lives. Nicola's parents said that in losing their daughter, that was bad enough. But it was heightened further by having to listen to Newton's cruel lies during the trial. Nicola's dad, Bobby, said he's scum, an animal. For him to say what he said about Nicola just makes it worse for us. I think he actually believes the lies he tells. He has tried to turn it around, saying what he did to her, she'd done to him. He's told lie after lie to try and wriggle out of it. Nicola was as soft as Clark's. A couple of years after Nicola's death, her parents were asked to participate in a Northumbria police campaign to raise awareness of domestic abuse. At this time, the figures were revealing. A staggering one in four women were experiencing such domestic abuse, and every week two women were murdered by their partners or ex-partners. It takes some comprehending, doesn't it? She thought it was love, Nicola's mum, Jeanette, told the campaign. To me, if someone hits you, it's not love. I don't think I'll ever understand why she kept going back. My message to anyone who finds themselves in a violent relationship like Nicola did is to get out. There's help out there for you, but you also have to help yourself. No matter how hard the police and other agencies try to protect people, it's also up to the individuals to take themselves away from the situation they are in. And perhaps it's here where the final word in this story belongs. The Bree family, who amid the most stressful and soul-destroying times one could possibly imagine, still try to help others in similar situations to which Nicola found herself in. We've heard it so many times, haven't we, from other families who've been through such dreadful events and are trying to help others. There could surely be no better legacy to emerge from such an awful tragedy, and hopefully initiatives like this can help in bringing down those such high figures relating to domestic violence. And of course their dignity stands in stark contrast to weak, cowardly men like Newton, truly pathetic creatures. It is suggested that education is the only way to stop these attacks, which keep coming and spark calls for change. But this change is yet to happen, and still so many women, and some men, but predominantly women, leave in fear of their violent partners. There is help available if you or someone you know is suffering from domestic violence. One such charity is Refuge, and their number, available 24 hours a day, is 0808 2000 247. That's 0808 2000 247. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to Facebook and join over 92,000 of us who talk UK True Crime 24-7. And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime for 73 full-length bonus episodes. Yep, 73. And there's loads of other exclusive content on there. I'm always writing stuff. 
some of it is even marginally interesting. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Diane Schaaf, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Carol Bonsall, Dominique Bayers, and Laura McGowan. Thank you so much. Your support is just so much appreciated. Okay, so that's all from me for another week, except to remind you to join me for the True Crime Podcasters Roundtable on Sunday. It's going to be super interesting, I think. Just search Crowdcast UK True Crime or follow the link on any of my social channels. Until then, please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, and it's always the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.